Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Revolution.org podcast coming your way, episode 183. Steve Schmee here and the Mobster. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Hardcore and in the house. We're about to go into the hardest working man in the room. We're going to talk about Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. We're going to talk about his life, his history, how he got to the top of the mountain. And we're going to talk about his steroid use. So who is The Rock? Dwayne Douglas Johnson is his full name. Former professional wrestler, actor, current actor, and entrepreneur involved in a lot of different things. Spent almost a decade in the ring. He rose quickly, became one of the best of his era as a wrestler. Very interesting story. We'll get into that in a bit. Today, over the past really, um, past decade, he's been a major action actor. He's done different movies. Uh, movies have made over 10 billion in the big box office draw at his peak stats 260 pounds ripped at six foot five he is an absolute beast and we're going to talk about all that good stuff later on we're even going to speculate on a uh, a steroid cycle and talk about his workouts his diets all that good stuff so we're getting into his early life a little bit born in the bay area of california may 2nd 1972 mother was a samoan in case you're see that little resemblance um, of that Samoan heritage. A lot of good pro, a lot of pro athletes are Samoan. One of my personal sports heroes or guys that I like, uh, Tua, quarterback of the Dolphins. He's, he's a Samoan, really, really good guy. Um, works hard and, and really, really good, uh, really good guy. So on his dad's side, The Rock, Black, Nova Scotian, and Irish mix. So I didn't even know there were black history in the east part of Canada like that. So that's something that you that I learned as well. So his father also was into wrestling, very athletic, and his grandparents were former wrestling promoters for Polynesian Pro Wrestling. So, Mob, sorry, you want to chime in on that a little bit? Yeah, I was gonna. I said in the in the pre-show, Steve. It's uh... We've got uh, Samoan athletes in rugby over here, which, of course, especially in Wales, is, is the big deal. And I looked into the uh, genetics that was idle for certain sports some years ago, and for, for some reason, the Samoan thing came up specifically. And there, as you've already said, Steve, there's a genetic thing in terms of the being tall and big-boned, both the men and women. I think I've, the particular thing that sticks in my mind was uh, some sort of island culture. It's a little bit like um, West Indian culture, where the women, um, it was a, a, especially of that time, that you, you, if you were fat or, shall we say, large, it was an indication of your accessibility to food and the ability to pay for it. So in other words, being big was a sign of wealth, not necessarily a sign of health. Um, obviously, then, what we've seen as the world opens up and people are able to travel around and do different things, especially the last few generations, is people from Samoa 
with some own backgrounds, traveling around the world, and it turns out that the guys, especially the bigger guys, especially disproportionately good at playing rugby, power sports, wrestling, you've already mentioned American Pro Bowl and so on and so forth. And uh, whether it's uh, a cultural thing again, uh, very rare to hear of Samoans kicking ass and getting drunk and doing stupid stuff in the pubs and all the clubs and whatever else in the bars in the States. So just all round coming across real well and being athletic. And, and obviously in the Rocks case, as we know, with predisposition for power, predisposition for muscle, um, and as I said, genetically higher amounts than, than, than normal. So whether that's a cultural thing, whether it's a genetic thing uh, from, you know, tens of thousands of years living on the island or whatever else, but here we are. And as you said already, Steve, both the, both the parents and indeed grandparents and a cultural background, he was going to be an athlete, almost certainly going to be an athlete of some description. Um, and it, it is one of the most muscular action heroes we've in fact one of the biggest and most muscular action heroes we've ever had in in modern times steve what do you think yeah absolutely we're going to get into this story a really really interesting story behind him and actually growing up um, you know big big into sports um spent some of his childhood in new zealand believe it or not he played some rugby he moved around a lot growing up he spent time in Hawaii, Connecticut, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Pennsylvania. And this may have led to his petty crimes as a teenager moving around that much. He was busted for things like fighting and theft. I mean, nothing major, but he's very lucky that he didn't have anything major happen. In school, he played a lot of sports and was considered a gifted athlete. Um, now, this is really interesting. He was able to land a scholarship for football playing at the University of Miami as a backup defensive tackle. You got to remember around that time, University of Miami, they had a top three, top five program in college football. Yes. So for him yes. to just dress for a game, that's a hell of an accomplishment, you know, because the guys that were the guy that was playing at his position, defensive tackle, of course, you have. Usually, if you're playing a 3-4 defense, you'll have one nose tackle. But if you're playing a 4-3 defense, you'll have two defensive tackles. So for him to even be a backup to the guy who was starting at the time, who was Warren Sapp, who's a Hall of Fame NFL player, one of the best of all time to ever play his position, and a first-round pick, by the way. Um, and that was who was ahead of him on the depth chart. So just to be... That just shows you how talented The Rock was to be a great you know, football player. He could have went to a smaller, a less of a college football program and been a starter, but he chose you know, to go to University of Miami. So he wanted to play for the best, and you know, that's who he played for. So a lot, I think a lot of people who follow The Rock know that story. It's a kind of a cool story. And those teams were legendary. Those were the – those were some of the best Miami teams of, of all time with a swagger and people were scared mobster to play the university of Miami at the time. People were intimidated and they were scared. They were the bad boys of college football and nobody wanted to play them. So, something else I want to jump in here very quickly, Steve. Uh, um, and we don't really mention it in the article uh, and bearing in mind that how many action stars and pro ball players have a TV show about their life. In his, I've got 
in my magazine book collection, Physical Culture Iron Game, uh, upstairs is a one of his, his biography, the rock biography. And the background in, should include, I think, we were actually talking about something to do with another athlete, a bodybuilder in the pre-show, the influence of the father and his relationship with his dad. Now, I believe, again, this is from the biography, his relationship with his dad in the early days wasn't that good. And I think it came from an element of, again, cultural. If you're wrestling, you're on the road, you're, you've got a six-foot-plus kid who's getting into trouble, then, then that has to be a hard-ass. That has to kick your ass and keep you in line to stop you doing really stupid shit. As you said, it was all petty. wasn't anything crazy or whatever else. But you've got a great... I mean, he was well over 200 pounds as a teenager. When he's getting into the football, he's going to be 260 pounds. I'm not as ripped as he is now. And you can see that from photographs. The classic, classic picture, Steve, is 15 years of age with a moustache and shoulders out here somewhere and looking... He takes a piss out of himself. He, he joshes on his Instagram and photographs. Look at me looking like, you know, a pimp, blah, blah, blah. And it's taken, but he looks like a grown ass man when he's 15. Now, his dad, uh, coming from the wrestling, is coming from being on the road, he's coming from having, you know, work from paycheck to paycheck, you know, getting paid after the matches and whatever else. So he had to, I won't say kick Rock's ass, because that's not exactly right, but he was a serious, severe disciplinarian. And so there is an element there. And what you and I talked about in the pre-show is how much of a driver for, for our attitude to life and our motivation, and that's whether it's athletically, whether it's in the films, whether it's as a businessman, how driven we are by the response that we sometimes have to our parents, and specifically here, the discipline from his dad. I mean, you know from looking at Instagram, he's just, you know, lets his two daughters mush his face with cake and all that kind of stuff. His relationship with his mum's real, real good. You know, the way that he is with people. It's, it's, there's a much, I think there's a big driver of his background for his attitude to life now, which comes from a relationship, good and bad, because it got better later on, uh, that he had with his dad. So that's an important element of that time. What came after, Steve? So what came after, buddy, is he actually, you know, he didn't make it in the NFL. He didn't get drafted or anything or get picked up as an undrafted free agent, but he did go and play in the Canadian Football League. He briefly played over there. And one of the other things he got into, too, in 1995, after he graduated college, became a speaker to kids about staying away from drugs and getting an education. So he pulled through. He, he pulled through. Yes. It was iffy. Yes. He could have ended up headed to prison, but he ended up getting an education, playing football, being part of a very successful college football program and getting his degree from the University of Miami, which is a very, very high quality school. Um, a lot of uh, people in the medical profession uh, get degrees from University of Miami. So it's, a, it's not an, a, um, a joke of a, of a college. I'll jump back in here, Steve. There's a, that's a, a famous story that he's mentioned in interviews. And again, it's in the biography. Uh, the, you, you said about, you know, being picked, being dropped, swapping teams, <clears throat> playing for a great team, very competitive, as you know, with the lineups and, and whether you get picked to play and don't get picked to play and so on and so on. Literally just sitting on the bench is something special when there's guys that haven't even got to do that. So wherever you get to play, whatever else. And one of the things he talks about, which was stuck in my mind, 
right? Just to make sure that no one thinks that he's, you know, had a life that was very, very special all the time. He talks about it when you didn't always get paid the big bucks. It was an honour to play for the team. Uh, and sometimes you're getting paid well when you're playing and when you're not playing, you're not getting paid well. It's as simple as that, guys. Not everybody's on 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year. Some, sometimes it's 10 million, sometimes it's a lot less. And there was times when, it, when things weren't that great. And he talks about um, they, they, they were sleeping on mattresses. Him and his buddies were sharing an apartment and they were sleeping on mattresses on the floor. And they'd had, they didn't have any money, so they went out to the back of a motel where the mattresses that were being thrown out from the motel were stacked up. And they broke this stack down to find the least dirty mattress, the cleanest of the discarded mattresses that they could use. And that's how they lived their life at the time. So let's let's this it, it comes. It, I think again, like I said about the thing with his father just now, Steve, it's a driver for you wanting to be as successful as you are because life hasn't always been good. So you appreciate life when it is good. When you've had to go through a pile, and I'll be crude and say stinking mattresses, to find the one with the least stains on, the one that's not got, uh, don't even want to think about the kind of stains that hotel mattresses would have on them. And that's how your life is. You and your buddies are camping down of a nighttime on those mattresses on the floor, you haven't got beds in order to make the team, in order to succeed, in order to get to where you are successful, it makes you appreciate when you are. If you come from a rich background, we talked about this on a previous pod podcast, very, very few seriously good athletes come from rich, rich backgrounds. It doesn't work like that. You need to be kind of driven and aspirational and taking a step up from where you are. So this is how tough it was, guys. This is how rough it was. And so when we talk about where he is, like, as we will in a little while, where he's got to today, we've already mentioned the films already, Steve, but other stuff that he's involved in, this is the background he's come from, this is the driver, this is the lifestyle that he had versus the lifestyle that he has now, Steve. Back to you. His wrestling background with his grandparents and his father, as we talked about earlier, are about to pay off. Because in 1996, he was held by Pat Patterson for some tryouts with the WWF. At the time, it was called WWF, World Wrestling Federation. They changed the name to WWE um, after this because the uh, WWE was World uh, WWF was World Wildlife Fund. I remember that, yes. which is a really good organization, by the way. Um, and they had to change the name to WWE uh, because it conflicted. And it got the WWF, you know that a lot of publicity in the process by doing that. So that was smart on their end because nobody, people had never heard of them. So anyway, his first WWF name at the time was Rocky Mavia. And his nickname was the blue chipper. So, <laughs> what, well, you know, here's, here's the thing that was interesting mobster. I don't know if you follow wrestling. A little bit. Totally. But I didn't know this, even though I would I would watch wrestling here and there. I had a girlfriend at the time who was in love with him. She loved the rock and she loved for some reason. She didn't like sports, but she loved mm. watching this fake ass wrestling. This yeah. was entertainment to her. I think she grew up with a stepdad who liked to watch it. So that's how she kind of she kind of got into it. 
And, you know, we would watch it every now and then, but I actually never know, noticed that the fans weren't on his side, but apparently they didn't like him at first. He was kind of the bad guy. He was booed. And he actually used this to his favor by insulting his opponents, interviewers, and fans, but doing it in a lighthearted manner. It's all, it's all in good fun. It's, I mean, it's fake, you know, but I thought, yeah, I yeah. thought that was interesting because I didn't know that. So, but here's the thing. His nickname started to change. I'll bring you in mobster in a second. But his nickname started to change to The Rock, Rocky Mavia. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. And then eventually that got dropped, thankfully, because people like me can't pronounce it. And it got dropped to just The Rock. So that's how he got his nickname. But chime in, yeah. I was going to say, again, this is from his bio. And, and of course, it's one of us who said, everybody knows it's fake. Everybody it's kind of scripted. And one of the things that happens, and probably the reason why he ended up being a bad guy, is what's called, they have heels and good guys, literally a bad guy and a good guy. So, But it changes. And I think the part of the reason for The Rock's changing is because he's become more popular. And it's literally, and, and, and there's like a, it's almost like a storyline. Now the thing, and we have to say this, right? Because I wouldn't want to get into one of those rings with one of those guys. Well, and I'm using your rabbit ears thing here, guys. Well, we're fake resting because you're still jumping off the top rope. You've still got someone that weighs 200 plus pounds landing on you. I don't care how sprung the floor of the ring is. The script is today you're going to fight this guy. You're playing a good guy. He's playing a bad guy. And they would rehearse. But you're still putting pain and pressure. One of the things that they've done in professional wrestling for years is they, they, it's not it's typical, and I think it's still typical, especially in the lower leagues, to fight 40 weeks of the year. And that can be every weekend, but sometimes it's during the week as well. And again, that's like me and you, Steve, running into each other nine times for how many minutes and expecting to be okay about it and then do it again at the weekend. Even as pals, even if we're not going full-blown punching, trying to wrench each other's arms out of your sockets or whatever else, literally you throwing yourself at me for how many minutes the guys are in the ring every weekend for 40 weeks you're bruised you're battered you're sore it's 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 as scripted and as structured and as entertaining as it is it is a tough situation and then again like i said the business it's a business like everything else is a business so you become popular people love to hate you or love to love you depending on whether you're playing a hill or a good guy and what was really good with rocky and you can see this even in his earlier stuff they would do a promo, say a Friday night promo on local TV or radio, wherever else. And he got good with the promo, Steve. He got good at cussing the other guys off. This is what happens. We see a lot of junior league, uh, other leagues outside the WWE, and the guys are there. And you kind of get some of them, it sounds scripted. But when it sounds natural, when you are able to feel the pulse and the, the back and forth and the rhythm of whatever else, the way that you're being responded to, when you change little things to make it worse, or should I say worse, and I mean better really, when more people come to watch the fight, then they're going to push you forward and you go from being a bad guy, the heel, to being a good guy, because now you're the star, now you're the main attraction, you've gone from one of the first fights to the main fight, it's just business, but you still got to do that stuff, practicing, rehearsing, even writing notes down for these kind of speeches and get hit and hit people and do that for 40 weeks of the year. It is a tough, tough, entertaining. It's like being a stuntman, but it's 
every week, Steve. And again, some of those guys are way over 300 pounds. I don't care if I weigh over 300 pounds. I am not going into the ring for shits and giggles and $500 or whatever and pretend fighting, but which means I'm really getting hit, but just not as hard as if I was fighting on the street, like MMA or boxing or something. No one's actually trying to kill me, but this shit still hurts. And to come from that, he learned... I think the thing of it was as well, Steve, he just learned everything there was to the point where you become the main man. You are an El Numero Uno, uh, where people are tuning in to watch you, where if you know that he's coming, you're going to go out and buy a ticket and spend some money and, you know, get some signed stuff. The same as all of the other main, main, you know, all of the other big names that we can think of. Uh, You've got Steve Colt, Stone Cold Steve Austin and others. I mean, absolutely, uh, when you start to get, they, I think they start doing stuff with film stars and they start doing stuff with other famous people and you're insulting them. One of my favourite ones, very quickly, Steve, is when he, he he sings a song, he's actually kind of got a good voice, with a guitar in front of the crowd and it sounds like it starts off really sweet and whatever. And the, the woman who was playing the heels, who's supposed to be the manager of some badass bad boy team, in reality, of course, it's something else. And he starts off very, very sweet, you know, and eventually he, he's ripping <laughs> ripping her a new one and the crowd absolutely loves it. And he says off camera, she's a beautiful woman. She's really, really lovely. She's kind of sweet. She's very professional. She knew exactly what was going to happen. But there's a back and forth and he's in the ring playing the guitar. And this has ended up being, you can see it on YouTube. You can find it on Instagram. Yeah, I remember it's that, yeah. It's absolutely classic, but it's a pure entertainment. Him singing to a woman before the match. It's just pure, pure entertainment. But again, just being able to do it. Who else? You ain't going to get Stone Cold Steve Austin doing that. You're not going to get uh, any of the other guys doing it. But The Rock would do it. And he did it well. And she did her part well. So it's pure, pure entertainment. So I kind of, I think the other thing with entertainment of this kind of is escapism, Steve. It's pure fantasy. It's like seeing Superman and Batman having a ruck. It's it's not real. We know it's not real, but it's fun. Go on, kick his ass, get all that kind of stuff. So yeah, but again, understanding the business, understanding there's a certain level of athleticism, pain. Some of the old wrestlers, if you've ever, have you seen the wrestler movies, Steve? Guys with knackered shoulders and elbows and joints and just smashing themselves to bits every weekend, even if you're not really trying to kill this fella. It's a hard, hard thing to be in. So coming from that and doing all the other stuff that I said and being a consummate professional, even singing and doing that kind of classic video, whatever else, you end up being number one. You have to be number one in that situation because you made yourself so valuable to the company, so entertaining, such a, a, a audience attention grabber that you are the number one at that time of all of it. And then, of course, they bring out some of the legends from the old days to fight them and all that kind of stuff. And that becomes a special match in and of itself. And you end up paying pay-per-view premium prices and all that kind of thing. So it's a big, big, I think a billion dollar business right there, Steve. Back to you. People don't realize with these wrestlers, yes, it's scripted, as Mobster said, but you're picking up and throwing these huge guys in a short period of time. And you're also, during your rehearsal, you're practicing all these stunts and injuries happen. You're jumping off and landing and you're picking guys up and doing these pile drivers and all this stuff. It's very dangerous. There's been many wrestlers who have died in the ring. There's been wrestlers who have been paralyzed in the ring. There's been wrestlers ended up blowing out discs 
in the ring. I know several former wrestlers. Um, I used to play poker with one, and he's basically on painkillers the rest of his life. He made a lot of money as a wrestler. He wasn't, like, extremely well-known, but he has to take painkillers the rest of his life due to his spinal injuries from wrestling. So it takes a toll on you. So the, so the Rock was very, very smart to get away from wrestling and not make it a long-term career, and he got into movies. So, yes. you know, here's the thing. Even in that short amount of time, The Rock had to make his mark. He broke the record for most Raw wrestling shows in a year with 38 and most SmackDown shows with 36. And, you know, he did a lot, but he was very smart to move on to an acting career because not to put his body through that. So he started to get on some shows, Star Trek, that 70s show, more of a stereotypical, you know, the rock character and doing comedies and stuff like that, doing action, nothing too serious. Some some of his first movies, The Scorpion King, and then he did Walking Tall and Doom. Um, I saw Scorpion King and Walking Tall. They were horrendously shitty movies. Um, Scorpion <laughs> King, I went, uh, you know, I took a girl on a date to see it. She wanted to see it. Um, she was into that, that sort of thing. Walking Tall is about him where he um, basically single-handedly, you know, comes home from being a soldier and he basically transforms a town and gets rid of the drug dealers and the gamblers and stuff. It's just completely off the rails, ridiculous. But, you know, a lot of people saw it and, you know, and a lot of people like that stuff and it caters to that young male demographic. And those are the people that's the number one demographic that goes to the movie theater. That's a thing to do on Friday and Saturday night after after school on Friday, hey, you know, let's go see the the uh, the Rock movie that just came out. Okay, well, it's a shitty movie. It's a D-rate movie, but yeah, it's still going to make $150 million at the box office because it has The Rock in it, and uh, he's a big draw. So he didn't have any type of critical acclaim in his movies. And at the end of the day, typecast actor, his physique, his personality – lighthearted tough guy roles is what he plays and that's that's what got in and at his peak mobster he was commanding up to 20 million dollars per movie because his movies are making so much money so he has that ability to command all that money um some of his movies though that he um he did as a producer did did have more success in terms of quality um jumanji welcome to the jungle Stuntman and Finding Finding My Family and Shazam actually were more quality of movies. I'm not saying they were great Oscar movies or anything, but they were actually much better than things like Walking Tall or some of these other shit movies he did. I'll jump in here very quickly, Steve. Something which is well worth putting out, and in fact, it probably goes back to the pro wrestling and the promos that I mentioned earlier on. The reason why some of these movies have been as successful as they have been in terms of actually making money versus critical uh, uh, success is because he promotes the fuck out of the back and forth that he has with some of his uh, co-stars, the uh, press stuff that he does, the promos that he does, the goofing off with the pro-stars, the Instagram videos between him and other of his pro-stars, they will josh each other, they they will... 
make jokes with each other in front of the, the camera people. And any of you people that know anything about this kind of stuff knows that it's all done in one day. So it comes sometimes two days, three days. So it might mean he's doing 40 interviews, 10, 15 interviews a day, more. And this was two, two, two days, three days. And I can't think of a single interview of his when he's been an arsehole. I can't think of a single interview of his when there hasn't been banter with either the person asking a question or whatever else. And he knows how to do that stuff. But that's what I mean. You've got stars and, and proper stars in terms of acting ability who won't do that. They, 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 oh, that question's stupid. And they get up and they walk off. And we've seen that stuff. You can find these things online. That's not The Rock. He is a consummate professional, but he will... I think anybody that knows they're going to have him in a movie knows that he's going to go on a, He's going to go to as many of the premieres as he can. He's, most of these times, by the time it gets to a premiere, it's typically a year after it's filmed. So you're already working on the next movie when you're promoting your last movie and you're going to red carpet events in London, in New York, in Miami, wherever. And there's The Rock looking slick, talking to the people as he interviewed in, shaking hands, signing stuff. And that's just for the premiere, uh, making sure that he's seen, making sure his co-stars are around him, everybody's getting a hug or whatever else, is lining up for photos. He is supremely good at that stuff, Steve. And that, as much as anything else, is the reason why these movies end up doing really well. Chat show promotion, you name it, he's out there. He's working, working, working to make those movies a success. He's not, as you said before, Brad Pitt. He's not Laurence Olivier. He's not that kind of actor. But when it comes to being, and I'm going to address this a little bit again in a minute, when it comes to being the consummate professional in terms of doing movies and promoting those movies and making those movies a success, he is on point. Now, something we talked about in the pre-show, and I'll mention it here and now, there's the story which he put out and mentioned on his own Instagram, and that's where I saw it. And essentially, it became a news item as well. So uh, he's aware and I use this phrase lightly of the little people. What I mean by that is all the electricians, all the chippies, the carpenters, all the people that make a movie work, the cameramen, everybody else. So there was an, he's got electronic gates at his house, wherever he was standing. I'm going to say it was Hollywood at the time. And he gets to the gates and the gates are broken. And he knows he needs to be on set. And he says there was 400 people going to be on set for the scenes that we were shooting that day. And I didn't want to let them down. So he got out of the car and tore the gates off, pulled them off the mountains and threw them on the ground to the grass. I think it was outside of his grounds. Gets back in the car and drives off to the set because he didn't want to let down all those people saying, I'm trapped in the house. I can't get there. I'm going to be hours late. Uh, start without me. You can't start with him. He's a star. And what are they going to do? Uh, and, you know, if you're waiting for someone to come and fix this stuff, get the, the gates open, it's going to take hours. And I'm going to be late and it's costing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars just for the electric and all that kind of stuff. So he tore the gates down, he threw them in, and as he tra travels down to, to the studios, he's ringing up his security, and a security arranged for some guys to come out and put the gates back on. Famously, it took three blokes to put the gates back on versus one rock, taking them off and throwing them to the ground. But it means he's a consummate, consummate professional. I'm going to get into his training in a little while, but just to give you the idea of how on point it is as an actor and being involved in the industry and where he got that from. And that's what makes his movies a success, Steve. It might not be The Rock being the great actor, as often as not, he's playing an exaggerated person that's like himself and, and the wrestling stuff and what people have seen from other movies. But he makes those movies work because he will work with people he don't like. 
I can think of a couple of movies, but he will promote the fuck out of them. He will make sure that that movie is a success. And if it's not, it's not for the work that The Rock hasn't put into. It's 100% professional in that regard. And that's why, and you mentioned the numbers earlier, we're talking about billions of dollars here, or $300 million, or $200 million. And some of the stuff, and again, it's a year after the film's finished, typically, when he's doing this work to make it successful. For the premieres, for the promos, for everything else. And all of that probably came from the promoing and being aware of the business background and working and knowing that everybody there, from the guy that was putting the seats down at the wrestling ring, is important as you are in the ring. And making sure that that, that person feels appreciated. We'll get into the other aspects of his business in a little while, but those things again. Uh, Steve, if you want to talk about his um, philanthropic work and the work that he does with charities, just to give you an example of what we're talking about. Yeah, I have to. And at the end of the day, I don't know anybody out there who doesn't like The Rock, doesn't respect The Rock, think he's a he's a great guy. There's nothing but good things to say about this guy. He's done a lot to help others. And um, yeah. again, it goes back to his Samoan roots. That's how that's how these 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 guys and gals are are just are great people. Uh, man, I would love to move to American Samoa and if if these are the type of people that they are over there. Um, because yes. they're amazing. He has a foundation to help with ill children. He's donated to various charities. He's encouraged young people to get more active in the community. His Instagram, 300 million followers, and he uses yeah. it, you know, for good. He doesn't go yes. on there and post pictures of him in jacuzzis with hookers and pictures of him with Lamborghinis and all this other crap that we yeah. see on Instagram among the bodybuilders out there and uh, the bodybuilding community. No, he's doing things out there, positive things. And he just a, a great, great person all around. And, you know, mobster and I were kind of joking about it on, on one of the previous podcasts. I can't remember if it was on air or off air, but I was telling mobster, I was like, don't think that this guy can't end up winning one day, you know, a, an Oscar maybe not for acting, but maybe for producing or maybe yeah. even for directing or something like that, because, you know, he has the ability to do whatever he wants. He, he's got the talent. If he really wants to prep for a movie and really put together a good quality movie and produce it, maybe even get involved in writing it. I bet you he could land an Oscar. The thing is the movies he done, he's done are really, as you said, Mobster, the more marketable movies. They're movies yeah. with Zac Efron on Baywatch, stupid yeah. fucking movies like that, which Ultimate only goal yeah. is just to entertain and make money. It's not to put out a good quality movie. But if he was to change, I guarantee you, if he wanted to become, you know, more of a top edge of, of an actor or producer director I bet you he could he's got that type of ability so it's it's up to him but hey he's having fun doing what he's doing now so can't fault him for that something that came up a couple of years ago that I remember from Instagram and he said he was honored that this had even been thought of because at the time his popularity the movies and everything else was going through the roof and just because of how people respond to him because of the charitable stuff that we talk about and even with the Instagram like I said during the pre-show, goofing around with his daughters, uh, when he's not working double hard, the hardest working man in the room, trying to spend time with family, trying to do his social stuff. I've seen videos of him giving away a car to someone because they were helping the community. So that's what you were on about with the community side of stuff. The thing that came up 
was the suggestion, an absolute suggestion, and maybe it was a reflection of the politicians that were in charge at the time. There was a suggestion, because he is an American citizen, that he could become the president of the United States. And I think he said something along the lines of, it's not my current plans, <laughs> but The Rock, if he's chosen by the, the Rock's people to become the people's president, it would be my honor but that might not happen for a few years. I think when, when I mean, this is how, how crazy this stuff can sometimes be. When you've got 300 million followers on Instagram across the world, that's nearly the population in the United States. And we've had a, a TV show, you've got it the same in America, called Britain's Got Talent, America's Got Talent. And more people voted for the winner of that entertainment show than voted in the election for us to get a party into the House of the Parliament and, and run in the country. I think there was something stupid like, across the different people that appeared on the TV show, 21 million votes online, over the phone, text, et cetera, et cetera, versus 9 million where we've had to walk down to the polling booth and out of the population, I think close to 70, maybe a little bit over 70 million. So this is a sort of impact that a person can have and a kind of power that they can wield, and again, such a popular person, especially so at that particular time. And again, a reflection of the politicians and what they were doing at the time, where The Rock could have become the people's president, Steve. That's how much power and influence he could wield and uh, a, a, a significant uh, way of suggesting just how popular as a person he is. And, and it would seem deservedly so, Steve. I could see it happening down the line. I could see, you know, 15, 20 years from now, the, yeah. you know, yeah. people voting for, um, you know, looking for politicians who are, have big social That's media right. followers and stuff like that. I could see that being as, as opposed to politicians who are, you know, businessmen or lawyers or stuff like that, because pretty much all politicians are businessmen or lawyers. So I could see, I could see it happen. And I think he'd be, I think, I think he would be able to um, unite a lot of people. Definitely for sure. Yeah. So let's kind of get into um, his diet and training monster. Maybe I'll start with my diet and then you can kind of talk about his, his uh, weight training and then we'll talk about his steroid cycle. So he talks about his diet. This is when, when he was peaking in some of his roles. So he talks about eating a lot of fish, uh, switching between cod and salmon. He estimates he was getting up to 8,000 calories a day and he eats five to seven meals per day. So when you're, when you're the rock, you got to eat a lot of food. And that's something that Samoans love their food. We see a lot of yes. Samoans who talk about food. It's very, very important in their culture to have good food. Yes. I'm, sure, I'm sure if you visited America, Samoa, it would be fantastic food that they have over there. Um, <laughs> so an example of breakfast, cream of rice, uh, buffalo, as in the Meat. cattle, buffalo, and eggs, and then potato and chicken, fish and greens, and then his meal before bed is a protein and fast-acting carb. Talks about his go-to cheat meal, which is a cheeseburger at a good burger joint with a piece of cake, and that's what he does. He talks about that with a smile. It's not something he does very often, but he does do it. When you're when you got those types of genetics, it's not a, it's not an issue at all. And I I I eat burgers, guys. But I make my own burgers at home. It's healthy. So yes. when you go to a restaurant and eat a burger, they're going to put a bunch of crap in it, refined oils, all this other crap. The bread is horrible. So 
I, you know, I get my own bread from scratch made from almond flour and eggs. So, you know, you can eat a burger that that's healthy. It's a difference. There's a difference between that and going to a burger joint and getting a greasy burger uh, with, with French fries, big, big difference. So the rock, yeah, he eats, he eats a lot of food guys. Um, but don't try this at home. Don't eat 8,000 calories a day because all that's going to happen to you is you're just going to get fat. But the rock, he works his ass off. He is a workaholic in the gym and he's got those great genetics to boot uh, from both sides of his family. So mobster talk about his absolutely incredible brutal workouts. The training, this is it. There's three factors here, guys. I like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I believe, on the Predator movie and other movies that he did after that. Uh, the Rock has had a 50,000 pound, that's weights, total machines, etc. gym brought to the set, including uh, locations like Hawaii. So he's making sure that if no matter where he is, he can get his workouts in. That's number one. Number two, which is another aspect, and you can find this again on Instagram, not once, not twice, but multiple times where and Steve mentions the calories there. If you are doing some of the physical stuff that he does, 12, 16 hours a day, 16 hours a day is not unusual for American movies, 12 hours a day in this country, although we're getting into the 16 hour days with our movies so, so that a movie can be done 8, 10, 12 weeks. Uh, 16 hour day, and then Steve coming home and doing, a, doing the workout, the kids are already asleep, the wife's asleep, you come home from the set, you come in, you have something to eat, and then you're training. And some of his workouts are starting at midnight, Steve, and finishing at half past one in the morning. So, and that's after a day on set. Now, you're not constantly on the move on set, but when you're required multiple uh, uh, shots, do it again, a scene again and again and again, that's where the calories are getting burned. Uh, and to be able to do that kind of, I, I don't know if I could do this. If Rich Piano used to talk about going into the Golden Hour when he was doing one of the Planet of the Ape movies, Stephen. And the, and the cash that they were getting paid. But he was talking about a 16-hour day in a gorilla suit and The Rock, 12, 16 hours a day, and then coming on to have a workout. I've done 12-hour shifts a few years ago, pre-COVID. I'm not coming home and having a workout, Steve. I'm coming in, eating, feeding the cats and crashing and dying a horrible death and then waking up in the morning on my day off. At 16 hours and then having a workout half past one in the morning. I would be hanging out my ass. That's how driven... A person is. I'll get into specifics of training. You can see some of these workouts. You have the camera set off to one side. Pretty much most of the time, he's in, if he's working out in his own home gym, um, he's on his own. There have been times here in the UK, for example, when he was over here on premieres and traveling around and doing promos and doing interviews, where we've seen him in some quite well known gyms and always has time to stop to say hello to people and whatever else. But for the most part, home gym which, by the way, he had to get special permission to have it built, and it's still on a kind of temporary structure, the way it's been built. You can see that from the uh, videos I'm on about, on protected civil war land of Virginia. Now, quick go. Here's an example of a leg workout, and I took this from a video uh, from someone else training and doing, the, doing that time the rocks workout and by the end the guy can barely talk he's sweating buckets and he's using half in fact less than half the weights and again the rock is not crazy 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 strong but here we go steve so uh, the video in question safety bar squats which i do four plates and doing 15 12 10 and 8 reps sometimes he will add chain to the bar so he's using that that, that stuff as well advanced techniques and he will do a, a superset 
for example, actually, sorry, weighted lunges for the chain, leg press, and then supersetting with weighted lunges. So that's the leg press, sometimes one leg, but more often than not two leg, and then getting straight off the leg press into a weighted lunge, which is normally with a chain wrap around his neck. And again, 15, 12, 10, and eight. This is then followed, gotta love this guys, it's my workout probably already finished at this point, Dumbbell Romanian deadlifts, again, 15, 12, 10, and eight, followed by leg extension and leg curl supersets, stand and calf raise, I think the, the leg extension and leg curl are four times 12 to 15, stand and calf raise are four times 20, and then body weight lunges to failure. Now, here's the thing, guys, If we, no matter who we do on this podcast, whatever workout we're talking about is a snapshot in time. So it's the workout that they did when we looked it up. It's not the workout they've done before, and it might not be the workout they do tomorrow. This is just to give you an idea. But again, these workouts, and the one I'm thinking of specifically, he was doing a, a what I call a V-squat machine workout, are, as often as not, at night, when everybody else is asleep in bed, after that long ass day that I've already mentioned, to be able to drive yourself to that degree, and he's not a young man, he's in late his early 40s now, whatever it's 40-something. Um, the idea that you're going to be training at midnight to half past one in the morning and moving these, not massive numbers, but like squats is four plates. So that's 180 kilos, 400-pound squats at midnight from multiple sets. When the video that I'm on about is half his age, early 20s, and he is using half and less weights. So like on a squat, for example, I don't think it goes above two and a half plates aside. And he's hanging. He's absolutely hanging. A much younger one with a shoe much fitter because he trains. And this guy is hanging. He is drenched in sweat. It's precisely why The Rock seems to be drenched in sweat when you watch these videos. And uh, arguably, and I've just used this reference for the leg workout, it's why he has the best legs of any action movie star. And he's got, they, they are borderline, Steve, I believe, I'm going to say borderline bodybuilding-esque thighs. There are lines in the quad. There are separation quads. There are veins in the quad. And even when he doesn't look great, he still looks good. But when he does look good, he looks fucking amazing, Steve. And of course, then being on, as you say, 260 pounds, six foot five, you are going to dominate the screen. And if you're dominating that screen, um, one of the lines in the movie says, well, if you've got that baby oil on, you look like a muscular, on, on screen, you look like a, you look like the Incredible Hulk, you look like a muscular freak, but you're either doing it with the sort of rock eyebrow or a stupid grin on your face or semi-serious because it's that kind of action movie. But nevertheless, you are dumb. You make all the other people that are with you look like, you know, you look like a cartoon compared to them. And, but he's working for it. He is serious. I, I've used this phrase already the hardest working man in the room. There's no damn way, and I don't care how much you pay me, that you're going to get me to do regular midnight to half one in the morning workouts uh, and, and train legs, Steve. Train legs after midnight. Uh, and then you've still got to be on set. You might have to be on set at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Again, the next day. Uh, I, I don't care how structured your life is, whether you've got someone meal prepping, whether you've got someone that does all these things for you, wherever else. It is a long-ass day. It is a tiring-ass day. You can still, and that's without the premieres and the promos and everything else, and then to train in this this hard, as I say, that makes a young man as sweats, and at some point he's talking to camera, he can barely get the words there, and this guy's that much younger, that much fitter, etc. So absolutely, with the food that you mentioned earlier, with the training, that's the reason why he looks the way that he looks, because he is seriously, seriously, seriously putting the work in. 
101%. Uh, guys, we've talked about this, we've, we've talked about film stars, media stars before. I'm gonna give you $20 million to be in shape, you're gonna be in shape. But I think probably of all of the people that we're gonna do is probably the hardest at this in getting that stuff done. Some of the other guys are getting up four or five o'clock in the morning for their workouts and, 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 and eating raw foods. They're not training in the middle of the night, guys. They're just not. And it is uh, this is the reason why he looks the way that he looks. And again, post 40s, over 40 years of age, he looks late 20s, Steve, in terms of his physique. And he is putting the work in like no one else I know uh, and doing the rest of the stuff that he does. He's training like a professional athlete, even while he's acting, even while he's doing promos even while he's doing chat shows, even while he's traveling the world. So, it, it, and again, he's, he could come home, Arnold Schwarzenegger talked about, you know, six hours sleep, not eight hours sleep and all that kind of stuff. But Arnold's not talking about training in the middle of the night, uh, even in his motivational stuff. So this is the reason why he is the way that he is. Right, guys, let's get into what we think he might have done. And I'll make sure that you read that line out, Steve, about what he said in terms of what we think he's done. Look, at the end of the day, The Rocks, you know, we've talked about on the pre-show, he's not going to come out and say, yeah, I use steroids. But he did admit to some steroid use in college. Look, he went to University of Miami. These are the bad boys. You know, and it, I, you know, obviously steroids were, were used. I mean, they were passed around. I mean, of course, they're the bad boys of college football, right? They're going to do whatever they have to do to dominate your ass. And that's what they did. They kicked everyone's ass that came in onto the football field. So he's defiantly denied using them since. And look, at the end of the day, you've got to look at his perspective. Number one, he doesn't want people doing steroids and following his lead on that, even if he was. We just saw that with all these guys dying who we saw Boston Lloyd pass away, who was the opposite, who said, yeah, I did all this stuff. I did all this stuff. And then look, all the people that followed him, now they're ending up with kidney damage and liver damage and heart damage and all this stuff. So it's a responsibility to his yes. fanboys out there that worship him. If he came yeah. out and said, yeah, I take steroids, they're going to want to take steroids. So you have to look at his perspective on why he wouldn't talk about it. But look, wrestlers, I know former wrestlers, they, they use steroids. They still use steroids. You know, it's something in the culture of, of pro wrestling. You have to use them to be able to pick up and throw a 250-pound human being over and over and over again. You've got to have superhuman strength. So steroids would be safe that came in. But, but I don't think what The Rock used was something excessive what pro bodybuilders no. would use. So let's kind of get into it. I think HGH is a big one. Among wrestlers especially, HGH is important. Among actors, HGH is important. Sylvester Sloan got busted for smuggling HGH across the border. Um, Customs busted them. So we know that these actors are using HGH. We know these wrestlers are using HGH. I think taught 12 IUs a day is perfectly reasonable. I think he adjusts the dosage as needed. I think insulin is something possible he could use. He's a big guy. Sporadically, nothing abusive, but sporadically using it before meals just to help give them you know, a little bit of a nutrition, nutrition partitioning effect. And I think testosterone, maybe something like testosterone, anything, a thousand milligrams a week is something he would take um, just to kind of um, cycle it. And I think he's on TRT, probably he's on like 200 milligrams of TRT year round, but then he'll blast yeah. testosterone, anything, a thousand milligrams. 
And I'll do one more mobster and you can kind of chime in on your thoughts and, and do the rest. Yeah. Tremblone, 1200 milligrams a week. And I think reducing it to 500 milligrams per week before he did his wrestling events or before he has to do, you know, a movie, which takes a lot of hours and a lot of time on the set. You don't want lots of training in your system going through that. So I think, I think that that makes sense. You got to have really, you got to be really good conditioning to do, I'm talking about cardio conditioning to, to wrestle. So having tons of training in your system, not a good idea uh, to do that. So what are your other thoughts, Mobster, on this? I'm going to agree with you, Steve. I think there might be an element, and again, we're, we're always going to be second guessing these guys. I think perhaps it's one of those things that when he retires, he might talk about it. And 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 one of the things that I have seen that occasionally happens in these certain situations is the difference between a doctor-prescribed drug versus a uh, cycle. And what I mean by that is if I'm on medication and my doctor's provided for me, that enables me to continue to be successful in my chosen career, viewing that because it's come from the doctor as not being a drug like a bodybuilder would use steroids to gain muscle. So what I'm saying is it's an element in my mind of how you perceive for yourself or how you persuade yourself that what you're doing is okay versus not. I also agree a thousand percent with Steve, and I said this in the pre-show as well. You've got 300 million followers. There's an argument, like I said earlier on, that you might become a politician. Then it's a million percent. If you went on Instagram with 300 million followers, and if you said, guys, I'm on doctor-prescribed TRT because it enables me to you know, recover from injuries, the stunt work, the throwing people around when I was wrestling, they're doing the stuff that I do on screen when I'm slamming on a car or breaking a table or smashing through a door, when I'm running up and down with some machine gun in my arms or whatever, and, and I'm a 40-plus-year-old 40, 40 man, and I need something to help me get through the day to enable me to train at half past one in the morning, like I said, then the moment you mentioned it, there's potentially, for argument's sake, uh, 300 million, there's potentially 5 million people that might suddenly decide to do drugs that didn't used to do them before. And, and these could be teenagers. So you cannot, you cannot say that you're using steroids. You just can't because you have a responsibility. Your kids are going to see this stuff. Family is going to see this stuff. What they know in their hearts versus you spitting the words out, you saying the words, what people guess like we are versus knowing because you said it and the influence and the possible reaction and then again, we're getting to, listen, loads of actors do stuff prescribed or otherwise. They get into shape for movies like Steve said, but the companies that produce those movies don't want to hear about it. The media people would rip you apart if you talked about it. So what you do versus what you can say. So for example, on top of the drugs that Steve's already mentioned, and Steve specifically says this in the article, the lower dosages, required to get you through the day, keep you in shape, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, keep you as a movie star, keep you as a wrestler versus what you're doing for specific scenes, specific events on certain occasions. And again, you don't necessarily need to be ripped outside of a movie. You might want to be ripped for a movie and that might require you to be ripped looking much vascular, looking like something crazy, an action hero for 12 or 16 weeks, like I said earlier on. So for example, following on from what Steve said, equipoise, 500 milligrams a week, increasing up to 1,200 milligrams a week before an event. And again, specifically the events I've mentioned already. Anavar, I would suggest again, Steve, is not necessarily something that is running year round. 
but it'll be in and out if he was. And we're talking about as much as 120 milligrams a day. Again, he needs to look something otherworldly. He needs to, just as one of the films you mentioned earlier on, Steve, that person's meant to be an Egyptian god, right? The Scorpion King. Halo testing, pre-event. I mean, especially when he was wrestling, which is what we're thinking about here when we're talking about his cycle, because of that aggression, even the pretend aggression. Because again, you're in pain percent possibly from the last match. You need something to up get you going, get you aggressive, get you, come on, let's go, showtime. And Halo tested, a uh, very small, 20 milligrams amount, pre-event. And again, this is the sort of stuff that uh, powerlifters would do. They're not doing it all the time. It's super harsh, but you do it before, say, that Saturday night main event, before powerlifting competition or whatever else. So again, guys, when we're talking about these drugs, when we're talking about these cycles, this is our perception of what we think that a guy like the rock would do. It's kind of what we think he's doing. But can he say that he's doing it? Can he tell you the truth about what he's doing? I don't think he can. I don't think he, I think it would be a massive risk to do that just for his own reputation, even if it's doctor prescribed, even if it's properly controlled, properly screened, blood tested regularly, and so on and so forth. And again, something I mentioned before in his shows, the guys will get medically tested, if not screened specifically for drugs, although one or two might get that as well because of the reputation they will get medically tested for insurance purposes to make sure that they're going to be okay doing this movie there's no good having someone that's going to flake out halfway through the movie and having the port stop the movie for several weeks while they recover from an illness or whatever else so you want the people to be fit and well and ready to rock and roll and especially if the role requires you to either do physical stuff or be physical in terms of how you look and so on and so forth and again if, if, if he's getting $20 million and it's a $100 million movie, that's $100 million. That is a great lump of cash on anybody's table. And you need to be on point and ready to rock and roll for that. And then that's without the amount of money that you're doing in promos and the work afterwards, et cetera, to make the movie successful. So it, I, I would suggest that our perception, our, ju our judgment on this is that he cannot say it. But it's also the case where we think there is something going on. There has to be something going on just to allow him to be at that. I think we've used this phrase before, the 1% of the 1% in terms of how he looks physically, how he is physically, uh, the work that he's able to do and to keep him out there. I mean, just being able to get out of bed in the morning and to be driven to the level of success. I mean, something we didn't mention, Steve, but I'll talk about it as well. Um, and I think it ties in with maybe my thoughts for the end. He's got into the tequila business, and I believe he quoted a number a little while ago, which suggested that the last time a film or movie star and a bunch of their buddies got involved with the tequila business, they were moving a certain number of cases per year. And that valued that particular company at that time for something like $500 million. And he said, and this is again a few years ago, so it's a bigger number than that now, that they, their, their volume of business for the quality product that they were shifting was four times that volume. So in other words, four times $500 million worth of business. So $2 billion worth of business. And again, this is a couple of years ago, Steve, it's increased since then, um, to the point where uh, people use his product at weddings and special occasions. And you've got rock on video celebrating them, the rock, the wedding with a glass and all this kind of stuff. So not only is has he been a good athlete, and then an amazing professional wrestler, and then goes into the movies and becomes one of the highest paid movie stars, if not the greatest actor. 
And not only is he training at crazy o'clock to get that stuff done, not only is he doing what we think he might be doing to stay on form, to stay looking good, to stay healthy, the growth hormone, especially helping him with, with repairs and keeping him young looking and keeping his body ticking over. But he's then become a driven man and gone into a business. He's using the money, he's using his fame for charity. And then he goes into this business and the business, some, some couple of years ago, Steve, is worth, I believe, $2 billion at that time. The man is a walking, talking example of how to be successful. And the phrase that I used earlier on applies, he has used it himself, and it applies here specifically because all of those things come from that phrase, and that is being the hardest working man in the room. I've got to tell you, Steve, I ain't that driven. I've been kind of driven to do the stuff that I've done and to get the records that I've got in the past. Last time I competed, I wasn't that driven, and I was certainly not as driven as The Rock is. Uh, and that's the reason why The Rock is that much more successful in every single thing that he's put himself into than I've ever done. And that's just me as an individual. So, guys, if you want to be as successful as The Rock, you've got to outwork The Rock. And that's kind of a phrase that I could see him using in a promo. You want to beat me, you've got to outwork me. Seriously, Steve. Every single thing he's done has led him to where he is today. And the, the, his ability to work to get to there is just unbelievable. Uh, whether it's his dad, the relationship with his dad, whether it's the background, whether it's sleeping on those shitty mattresses, like I mentioned earlier, whether it's, you know, traveling on the road, being around people that are hardworking, whether it's fighting 40 weeks a year, whether it's doing those 36 shows and 38 shows that you talked about, whether it's knowing every element of business, it's, it, he is so driven even now, I can only imagine this is why he, he, he just completely flops out and lets his kids do what the hell they, you know, pushing cream cakes into his face and whatever else, because he needs to relax, he needs to chill out and just let's goof around with the, with the kids and just have a great time. Because seriously, he's like, the man gets up in the morning, it's go, 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 17, 18 hours a day. I, I couldn't do it, Steve. I just couldn't. I don't want to do it because I know I'm older, but I don't think I was ever that driven, even when I was driven to be as. So what do you think, Steve? Why is The Rock The Rock? Why is he the way that he is now? Let's finish on that. Man, I I have no idea, but he's built an empire for sure. And he's, um, whatever he touches, it turns to gold. So if you're lucky enough to buy stock in The Rock years ago, you're, you're sitting pretty right now. So, but anything this guy does, he's going to be successful. Even putting out a shitty movie, he's still going to make $150 million. So we're going to ride the wave while it keeps going. So we'll have to see what he ends up doing. Maybe he will be president one day. Maybe he will run for governor. Maybe he will end up, you know, um, donating a huge amount of money to different charities and making a huge difference in people's lives. And, and he's, um, so he's extremely successful guy and he is one of the, one of the guys out there that really um, nobody, nobody hates, you know, uh, nobody can hate the guy and he's, uh, he's fantastic. So when he returned for, to do wrestling, um, everyone was on their feet cheering for him, you know, clapping, even though early in his career, they were booing him. So they love him in wrestling. They love him in movies. They love him for his philanthropy. They love him for his, businesses they love him across the board so very very well liked guy and um you know kudos to him 
and um, he's, he's a great guy for sure. So excellent podcast, guys. We'll do one next time. The next one we're going to be doing is Mobster's cousin, Christian Bale, his neighbor next door to him. So we'll talk to you guys next time. Check that one out. It's going to be interesting. Mobster, take us into the disclaimer. Right. Number one influencer in the world, 300 million. Please note, we are not doctors and the opinions on these podcasts are hours and hours alone. It is our view and based on our experience and views on the topic. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the further amendment.